Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hello there and welcome to Save the City Podcast. It's episode 29 of the podcast. We've been away for a little while. I thought that I might not be able to record a podcast until after all of the seasons are over. But I do have just a brief few minutes this afternoon to try and catch us up so that we don't have so much to cover after the finales. We will have my friends Donald and Camille back to talk about the series is as a whole of everything that we cover in terms of Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow. We will also have a review of Captain America Civil War with my friend Glenn Ewing in a future podcast. But for now, I'm just going to briefly take a couple of minutes to catch us back up to where we are currently with Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow. My, by the way, my name is Matt Murdick. I am from Save This City Podcast. .wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like our contact links, such as Save This City Podcast at gmail.com, at Save This City Pod on Twitter, and the phone number is 314-669-1840 if you want to leave any feedback for the podcast. Also, you can find podcatcher links in all of the back episodes. The podcatcher links, if you could take the time to leave me a written review on whatever podcatcher app you use, it helps me stay more noticeable and it also helps me improve the show. So I greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. This time around, I'm covering two episodes of Flash, Season 2, Episode 20, Rupture. And Season 2, Episode 21, The Runaway Dinosaur, covering two episodes of Arrow, Season 4, Episode 20, Genesis, and Season 4, Episode 21, Monument Point, and two episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 14, River of Time, and Season 1, Episode 15, Destiny. And that's actually where I want to start. Because the most eventful stuff, uh, to me, has been in the Legends series over the last two weeks. And I actually want to jump ahead to the most recent episode of Legends of Tomorrow. That's Season 1, Episode 15, Destiny, which had a story by Mark Guggenheim, the teleplay by Philip Klemmer and Chris Fedek, and was directed by, oh no, another name I can't pronounce, Alatunde Asunsanmi. I have no idea if I said that right or not. Anyway, uh, I'll get back to the season one, episode 14 in just a second. But I think so much happens in this Destiny episode that we really need to cover it first. Um, Snart, gone. I can't believe that. That was totally unexpected for me. It seemed to me that all season they'd been setting Ray up to be the, the big casualty for the season um, because of the whole Kinder thing and the multiple ass kickings. And... When Rip saw his death in the Oculus or whatever that thing was called, 
I was pretty sure that it was like Brandon Routh had just said, okay, one season of this and then I'm out and, you know, decided to move on. But no, instead, I guess it's Wentworth Miller who is, is leaving, or at least um, he's not going to be able to be a regular. Fans of Prison Break, which was the one, I guess, kind of quasi hit that he was in before, they probably saw this coming because there's going to be um, some kind of renewed uh, special limited series on Fox or whatever. So he would need time to film for that. So uh, from a logistical sense, it really works. But Miller does still have a contract with the CW. So he's definitely going to appear occasionally in Legends and I think Flash. And he can do that in those two as Captain Cold, simply because both of those shows uh, provide a kind of a time travel aspect to them. And of course, Barry can travel back in time so we can see Captain Cold in, in any of his past and, of course, Legends of Tomorrow is all about time travel, so we could see him appear occasionally in those. Uh, but evidently, his schedule needed to be freed up enough for this whole prison break run on Fox. So, sad to see him go, but hopeful that it's not the last we'll see of Captain Cold, at least from the past. We won't see this reformed version of Snart, of course, the sacrificing hero, uh, but at least we will still see him. And I'll be honest, I always thought that the kind of... Uh, that reformed version of snart was a little unearned and earlier in the season i had hinted at chemistry for snart and sarah uh, that that might be leading somewhere um but i'd kind of withdrawn that because the the whole bit with sarah and the nurse came back up and then even in the river of time episode we had her and nissa together so I, I didn't think that they were going to go back down that route. But because they did go through this whole thing with him actually flirting with her, which seemed kind of unearned to me, um, I guess, you know, they're just giving uh, Wentworth Miller a send-off, giving Snart a send-off and trying to wrap up some loose ends and everything. And he got his kiss, and I didn't really have a problem with that um, because I didn't feel like Sarah was really expressing any actual feelings for him. She was just kind of granting him his last request. But it did kind of bother me for him to just start hitting on her again after it kind of settled out a little bit. And there was even a point at the end of the episode, you know, when it blew up, I thought, well, maybe Snart used his cold gun to create some kind of heat shield around him from the blowing up. But he'd still, you know, I don't know how the concussion would probably break that, so... Uh, I don't think there's any way that he survived, that's for sure. And, and given the uh, Entertainment Weekly article about him still appearing in the past in shows, and that's going to be uh, just kind of sad to see him go. I wonder, though, what this means. I mean, our friend Donald, uh, who comments on this podcast sometimes, uh, at DonaldJR on Twitter, if you want to follow him. He's always got great thoughts about TV shows. He had suggested that maybe the Legends cast and this was a while back, um, that they could kill people off and just make it kind of a rotating cast. And that, they, you know, with Captain Cold gone, who do you replace him with? And, and one of the suggestions that Donald made again a long time ago was uh, maybe Vixen, who we saw in the Arrow series. That would be fantastic to have Vixen on. I'd be, I'd be totally down with that if we're not going to get to have Snart. Um, Vixen would be a fun uh, kind of counterpoint to Rory's dark side, I think, as opposed to um, just the two of them being kind of criminals amongst the crew uh, together. We're talking about Snart and Rory. Um, so I, w I would be tickled by that. But we got to pour one out. we got to pour one out and say rest in peace for our 
beloved crew member, Snart, unfortunately. Now, as for the thing that they destroyed, I call it the Fate Maker rather than Oculus or whatever they call it. Um, It's fun when a show tries to give scientific reasoning for mystical beliefs, this whole fate versus free will thing. Um, But here's the thing that I don't get. I mean, they're all acting like now they have complete free will. And yes, they can keep from being manipulated because no one can see that timeline anymore to know how to direct them. And I understand that, that, that does kind of fight the fate thing, but it it doesn't mean that fate doesn't exist. That's what I love about it. They could still be fated to do things in that, that would have been shown in that timeline but now just nobody can see it to manipulate that timeline and, and change their fate. Um, so really it was the free will of the vanishing point that was dictating their fate. And with that Oculus or the fate maker that I call it of sorts, now nobody can react in advance to what they're going to do. And that does throw kind of a fun caveat in it, but I really don't feel like it gives the argument of free will versus fate one credence or the other. They could still be fated to all die at the hands of Vandal Savage. They could still be, uh, you know, have the free will to be able to kill Vandal Savage if they need to one way or the other. Um, the aliens may still come or they may not, but uh, I, I think that they're probably going to come since that was foreseen. Um, and everything just getting Vandal Savage into position is what, you know, is what the Time Masters at the point thought that they were doing in order to uh, save the Earth. But I, I just don't see it uh, being as simple as destroying that thing all of a sudden gives all of the universe free will. It doesn't seem to be right to me. But if you want to engage in that, I mean, it's a great philosophical debate. And if you want to engage with me on that, feel free to send, an, again, an email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at savethiscitypod. Or you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840. The one thing that they did do with this Destiny episode is they set up that no matter what happens to Savage from here on out, there is a bigger baddie out there, a bigger alien baddie out there to fight. And I think that that's fantastic because it means the show can actually dispense with Savage if they need to and continue to go on with uh, other aspects uh, of the story and and a continuing source of uh, new material that they can work with. And... You know, as for all of this fate versus free will stuff, I, I, I felt bad for Rip because he wasn't able to save his wife and child. And he he was so resigned about the fate thing. So it really created some dark moments for Rip in this episode. And as for the Martin and Jacks thing, I mean, that was great. Uh, I, I mean, I never really felt any peril for Martin simply because we got that right at the beginning of the episode that Jax was going to try and get back. So I was never really worried about that. The only question was, when would he get back? And of course, as television shows do make it over dramatic, he appears right at the very moment that he's needed most at the wellspring, uh, when they're all about to be shot to death. Um, very TV tropey, uh, but that's okay. I mean, that that's what a superhero show does, right? And, Kendra was really kind of in the background more of this episode than anything. I mean, Savage still has her and he has Carter. So you have to ask the question, what's going to happen with that? Now, 
I felt like the whole Kronos brainwashing thing was really just to create, again, it's a TV trope, just to create tension. And the plausibility of Rory, again, being able to resist this quote-unquote improved brainwashing, that that seemed a little bit off. Um, But, oh well. I mean, the thing, once again, that, that I haven't liked very much was the ease of Rory's redemption. Um, it's the, this time around, it was the team that got him through it. I mean, that just really doesn't work for me. I, I would have thought hatred of the time masters, um, that if that was his focal point, then I would have bought it a lot better. But thinking of the team, it just seems like Rory has totally turned around into this good guy. And I, I don't really like that. I like the dark side of Rory, but I will say that I did like the cupcake scene <laughs> with him and Ray. I, I didn't really like the reasoning for his resistance, but uh, still, the the cupcake scene was great. And I hopefully we're going to see some real ramifications of of how he goes from here in regards to having Snart being gone. Um, hopefully, and we've only got one episode left, so hopefully we'll we'll see a darker side of Rory simply because of what has happened. And I guess that's all I'll say for that episode. Uh, it was really good. I think I'm going to go a nine with this one. It had a lot of surprising and everything. And there were a couple of things that uh, I didn't, you know, I could nitpick. But, I mean, it was still, it looked great. Um, it was a great story. Um, and the whole twist from last week about the Time Masters being in league with Savage and, and the reasoning behind that uh, really paid off well in this episode, I thought. And, I, of course... I can't give it any higher than that because I have to take a few points off just because I hate to see Snark go. But yeah, 8.9 or 9, right in that range. I thought it was a really good episode. And I do want to talk about the episode that preceded it really quickly. And that was Season 1, Episode 14, River of Time, which was written by Courtney Norris and Anderson McKenzie and directed by Alice Troughton. You know, the big twist at the end was the fact that the time... Masters and uh, Savage were in league together, uh, and that that was great. I, you know, uh, and we got the reasoning in the Destiny episode as to why that was because they're trying to fight off this whole alien thing. Um, and I really love the flashbacks in this episode. I thought that was a great way um, to develop character quickly. But the one that really stuck out to me was actually the very first one because Savage knew that the Skyrocks were coming. And you have to ask how, because later on in the episode, he makes it sound like Rip had told him, or Rip had basically taught him to, to seek out time travel. And I think what you find out uh, in this in the Destiny episode is that this is really a lie. It wasn't Rip who showed him, or even if he did, he probably got discovered by the Time Masters at that point, and the Time Masters have been feeding him this stuff. Because there's no way he would know that those rocks... 4,000 years ago were coming to Earth unless somebody who knew that was happening could tell him, right? I don't think simple astronomy would have told you that uh, back in ancient Egypt. Uh, Could be wrong. But then the other thing to think about is, you know, if the Time Masters have been manipulating all this stuff, look look at the kind of the way that fills in the gaps of this episode where you're asking the questions, um, where Savage seems to, to know a lot more about things um, that you didn't put together until you see the Destiny episode. Like, are those rocks actually from the same part of space that these aliens will come from to attack in the future? I felt like all of the clues to the Destiny episode 
were actually laid out really well, but they didn't, you know, they didn't pay off until the Destiny episode. episode so I thought that was good. Um, but the whole Savage using tech from the future, that led Rip to the whole idea of, you know, that Savage was time traveling, but who's to say that the Time Masters just didn't give him that tech? They went and got it themselves and brought it back for him. And yet you have the crew, you know, they're going down this path that Savage can time travel, which may or may not be true, but it doesn't really matter because they're all being manipulated from the outside by the Time Masters, as we find out in, in the Destiny episode. But the one problem that I have is Savage says that he learned how to time travel from Rip. Why would they believe that? He had never shown any evidence of that. He'd never had any time ship or anything like that. So why, why did they buy into that so well? Maybe he was told by the Time Masters to say that to Rip. There's lots of questions when you put these two episodes together. When you look back at the River of Time episode, you can say, well, maybe this part of the Destiny episode answers this part of the uh, River of Time episode. And then you have Savage, you know, this this is the part that I really liked about Savage in this particular episode. His ability to manipulate the people even from behind a cell. I mean, that's the kind of Lex Luthery, even, um, you know, just really diabolical mind thing going on that I love in a supervillain, right? That That's the kind of thing that I love. And so to me, Savage was much more effective as a villain in this episode than he had been in any, any of the others. I, he almost seemed like a thug at some times throughout the course of this series, but here he seemed like a true mastermind. And, you know, right down to the whole triggering, the the whole love triangle thing with Ray. And as you guys know, I hate the love triangle crap, but I, I it was really effective here. Uh, it It made it actually worthwhile for me, the way he used it with Ray to, to manipulate him and get him to come in and, and to be able to escape. Um, and he had been playing everybody. He'd been playing everybody against each other, Sarah against Rip, you know, all of that manipulative stuff. That's the kind of scary that I've wanted in Savage all season. And that was what we got this episode. So I really love that. And speaking of Sarah, uh, you know, her whole piloting the ship, that was awesome. Um, all of the butt kicking throughout the episode, that was super awesome too. The one thing that really got me, uh, emotionally in this episode was, was Martin sending Jax away, knowing that that would kill him. And that was really fantastic. And it, it made me like Martin even more. And, and his face off with Savage was the best out of all of the coming to visit because he saw through it all right from the very beginning and it turns out that he didn't even really need Savage to answer his own question when he figured out what to do with the time ship. But the only nitpick that I would have with it is it seems like, you know, there's a scene where Rip tells Snart and Rory, yeah, take the time ship. And it seems like they're going there immediately. But in the course of that time, <laughs> Martin uh, comes, goes and visits Savage, comes to the conclusion about the jump ship, manages to fix the time ship up so that it will reverse the effects on Jax, manages to get a roofie prepared for Jax, another roofie, I uh, love that, uh, and um, then gets Jax to come to the time ship all before Snart and Rory can walk from the main bridge to the time ship, because that's what it seemed like. Um, I'm sure that maybe Rory and Snart were packing a couple of things up. Maybe that's what took them so long. Um, but it seems like Martin got an awful lot done in a very short amount of time. But that's just real nitpicky. I'm just being a, a you know, a real bitch. That's when I say that stuff. So not too worried about that. 
Uh, I do want to hit real quickly on two other flashbacks that I, I really liked and, and not to say anything other than I just loved him. But the one with Sarah and Nissa was just so good. Uh, I love that one. Um, and that is another thing that made the, the whole her kissing snart or, or snart flirting with her in the destiny episode a little bit off to me, but I, I still, I still loved it. Um, and of course the Felicity and Ray one was fantastic. Uh, Felicity, even in a wheelchair can just light up a screen and that, that just, uh, made me feel really good. And I, I love the place where her and Ray had gotten to in terms of their friendship um, after the relationship that they had had to drive a solicity people crazy uh, for a little while. Um, but, uh, of course, uh, now the solicity people are getting crazied by other stuff, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Anyway, uh, that's all I got for the Legends of Tomorrow for the River of Time episode. This one's going 8.9 as well. It was really good. Really loved it. And with that, I'm going to circle back to the Flash stuff, um, and we'll start with Season 2, Episode 20, Rupture, which was written by Kaiyu Wu and Lauren Serto, uh, and directed by Armin Kavorkin. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Going through life with that name now seems uh, terrible. But, yeah, Armin V. Kavorkin is the director. And I'm really still very confused about how the Flash storyline fits in with the Arrow storyline. I mean, I suppose it's possible that Laurel's death happens before Barry even loses his speed because you would still have the Zoom thing going on then. So that's a possibility. Or it could be that Barry gets his speed back before the Laurel death episode happens. Either way, you can make it work, but they've done so well at lining up the episodes before uh, to make them work with each other that the people who do these guides of what order to watch the episodes, I bet they're pulling their hair out right now. Um, if you're trying to look at it as all one chronological timeline. Anyway, uh, I can live with it. I'm, j- I'm just still confused. I want to see some kind of resolution to tell us one way or the other. And I hope that one show or the other, either Arrow or Flash, does that for us. This whole Zoom wanting to make Caitlin like Killer Frost thing, I'm just really not down with that at all. I mean, I would like to see Caitlin get some powers, but I'd hope that she'd use them for good. And we got another confirmation, you know, I'd said maybe uh, Cisco's doppelganger reverb created the breaches. No, evidently everybody keeps saying it was the the uh, particle accelerator. That created the breaches, so we'll just accept that this happened too many times. I, I was going out way out on a, a theory of that for a while, but I'm I'm reined back in now, folks. It's okay. Um, the Cisco and his brother stuff that that was all right. You know, I, I I like to see Carlos get more interesting stuff than just being a person behind a computer like he normally is, and I really love the hol- hologram idea. Uh, I thought that that was great. One question that came up in this episode, you know, Barry's dad talking about his mother's maiden name being Garrett. And so now everybody's jumping to the conclusion that Barry's dad is in the mask. But I I don't know if that can be. Uh, Because, again, I think I said this in an earlier episode, Barry's dad was with his mom. Evidently, it's kind of what his mom implied when Barry talked to her on Earth, too. But it seems like the guy in the mask was already there by that point. So how can it be Barry's dad? 
And I know that there was somebody who did a screenshot and thought they saw some kind of tattoo on a finger or something like that that would indicate that it was Barry's dad. And if they go that route, that's fine, but they've got to explain how Barry's dad, because obviously his genetic makeup is the same, so his dad has to be, um, you know, look the same, has to be the same guy. And if his Earth 2 mother and father are both talking or in the same proximity of each other when Barry is talking to his mom, then they have to explain when it was that Zoom took Barry's dad. You know, uh, that, that's the only thing. They just have to explain it. I'm willing to accept it, but I do need an explanation of how that all fits together, if that is the case. And, of course, you, you had the ending of this episode, which was made even more traumatic by the fact that Iris had told Barry how she felt. Um... That seemed a little unearned to me as well, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'm okay with with Barry and Iris shippers uh, being happy about that. That's fine. Um, and they actually did address the whole Patty thing. So, I, like I said, I'm okay with the whole West Allen uh, thing if that's what ends up happening. Um, which it looks like it's kind of on the path by the time we get to the next episode. Um, but I, I was really way thrown by the whole Barry blowing apart twist. I thought that that was really interesting, but what it did do as as much as I was complaining about the fact that they did that and the way it might affect the, the whole conjunction with arrow and everything. One thing that it did do was set up a fabulous episode in the runaway dinosaur, which I'll get to next. But first I just want to rate this one. This one was good. It was an 8.5 for me. And with that, I will move on to Season 2, Episode 21, The Runaway Dinosaur, which was written by Zach Stein. Applause for Mr. Zach Stein. Fantastic writing. And directed by Kevin Smith, which I didn't even know that Kevin Smith was going to direct an episode. And evidently, he's going to, according to our friend at Michael underscore Aaron, who does the Earth's Mightiest Cast podcast, he's slated to do a couple of episodes in Season 3 already. So that's fantastic, because this episode was really just super beautiful to me. Um, first of all, Jesse Martin as, as Joe was just fantastic in this episode. I mean, Joe is just crazy amazing in this episode. Both Joe, that was the Speed Force looking like him, um, and and Joe himself throughout the entire episode. I don't understand how the guy who is always trying to protect Iris from everything suddenly lets her tag along to face metahumans but i guess when times are tight and there's not enough personnel maybe that's the way but any other time and, and there was a little bit of resistance from joe you could see this look on jesse martin's face um that that told you uh that joe was not really willing to go through with his plan completely but knew he didn't have a choice but any other time joe would have been like no friggin way now on the other hand iris really steps out as as almost kind of like that tough broad earth two version of herself you get to see that side of her come out you know the whole she's protecting cisco you get behind me that was super awesome and the whole volunteering to to draw out the this metahuman this is metahuman zombie uh to draw him back to star labs that was all really good stuff and then you have barry in the speed force this stuff was so mystical and beautiful um, it, it's one of the best storylines I think that they've ever done on the show and not just in the writing, which Zach Stein was just amazing. This was such be such beautiful writing to me, 
but um, Kevin Smith really got something different out of the actors. Like they were, you know, it was them, but it wasn't them. That was just so fabulous. It it was just amazing. And again, this is another one of those kind of science things being used to explain another mystical quality. You know, the, the idea that the very laws of physics are kind of gods themselves and in in all essence really that is what it is the 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 forces of life were created um at the being but it was almost implied that these forces are beyond the beginning and the ending of the universe which gives it that very godlike quality which i just absolutely loved and and the whole experience really for barry it changed his whole perspective on things like about his mother and and it was just beautifully done. There is one line that they kept repeating, though, uh, that whole sit, bury, sit. And I don't know if that had the whole idea, if that had to do anything with the concept of resting in this episode and acceptance, maybe. Or if it was foreshadowing him to, you know, sit down with his mom for the story. Or if it was foreshadowing something else in the future. You know, because they said they kind of exist beyond time and space. So were they telling him something that he will have to remember when he faces Zoom? I mean, if that were the case, then it would be absolutely amazing that they put this little critical piece of information in there for Barry. And if he manages to figure it out and remember it. And again, this is all just speculation, but because um, you can say that the sit, bury, sit thing paid off in this episode already, but it could be used in the future. I was just glued to that phrase, and I, I hope that it has something to do with this future face-off with Zoom. And really, this episode has does end up setting up the big conflict that we see Zoom has been busy bringing all of his metahuman friends over uh, across from Earth to... Um, that's going to be one heck of a showdown you know, whether Barry <laughs> sits or not. And as far as Caitlin goes, you know, he took, gave, basically gave her a choice, be here and you'll live, um, not be here. And, um, I will do to you what I do to the rest of the people. Um, in my opinion, she would be better to just stay there and work from the inside, but who knows what she was going to do there. And, oh my gosh, Blake Neely, part of what made this episode was so magical, especially all of the emotional stuff with Barry and his mom, which was just so fantastic. Um, and, and just the whole, uh, world of the speed force in general. Um, it was just a fantastically done episode from a musical scores standpoint. I think of all of the shows that Blake Neely does for Berlanti's kind of DC universe, um, this is the one where he generally gets to really stretch his legs. And I thought he did a good job with Supergirl, too. But this one is the one where he really just changes things up all of the time and makes things work so well with the great acting and the great writing. Um, th- th- this is kind of Blake Neely's really good one. Arrow is fine, um, but it's a little more kind of brutal kind of um, bumpy in your face, but this stuff is just beautiful every time he does it. Even when there's fighting going on or whatever, he manages to just capture every emotion musically so well. And this really is one of the best episodes of the series to me. Um, I'm a sap, as we've established many times before, 
Um, so the emotional stuff really got me and the acting from everyone was perfect to me and the writing was beautiful. Um, I'm going to go a 9.5. And I have to say this, you know, I was really wavering on flash season two for a little while. I didn't feel like it was going anywhere that was really impactful to me or anything. And then you get an episode like this, which has totally brought me back into it. And I can't wait for the final two episodes of this show. So we'll go 9.5 for Runaway Dinosaur yet again, and let's move on to the last thing to discuss here, Arrow. And we'll start with Arrow Season 4, Episode 20, Genesis, which was written by Oscar Balderrama and Emilio Ortega Aldrich, and directed by Gregory Smith. Okay, how many months was I saying that I didn't trust Thea's politic guy boyfriend, right, Alex? And bam! Uh, can't trust him. We find out in this episode, but <laughs> that was after I had retracted it. I thought, oh, okay, well, he's not a guy. And it turns out that he actually is an okay guy, um, or was, as we find out in the next episode, but, uh, he, he actually was an okay guy. It's just that once he started working for Ruve Dark, he started getting the, the old, uh, brainwash pills. And so that's what made him bad. So he wasn't bad up to that point. Um, so, uh, I was right to retract then, but I, my gut instinct was I knew they were going to do something to make him bad. And so they did. So, uh, yay, I can pat myself on the back partially, uh, for that one. And the big focus of this episode, of course, is Diggle and, and his struggle with Andy. And I, I had wondered if he'd have to put Andy down. Um, and it happened. And that was a great story for Diggle this week. And it even puts himself at odds with his wife, not just because of what, you know, she was advising him not to do, uh, you know, to stay away from it. But then he basically lied to her about the choice that he made, as we find out in the next episode. And um, it, it must have been tough for him to have to do that. But um, that was a really nice dark moment for, for Diggle when he had to shoot Andy. I thought that that was uh, fantastically done. And as far as the Oliver stuff goes, I, I mean, first off, <laughs> I, I'm getting kind of tired uh, as an Elicity guy. I'm getting kind of tired of the whole thing. It seems like almost every episode we've lately, we've had this line from Felicity, like, you know, I'm with you, but I'm not with you. That kind of thing. Um, it's just kind of salt in the wound. Um, and there's plenty of other salt in the wound, but the whole magical mystery tour thing, as Diggle called it, that was okay, I guess. At, at least it seemed to have worked a little bit when he faced off with Dark in this episode, anyway. Um, when Oliver was seeing things during the magical mystery tour, we had that shot on the island where his uh, island friend's eyes go yellow, and I was like, wait, I we didn't see that happen yet. Uh, on the island, uh, but we get it in the flashbacks in the next episode, so I'll talk about that then. And we did get an answer for the Rubicon thing, um, so that was good, and, and it makes the the whole Genesis thing much more threatening than Malcolm's old Genesis thing, right? Uh, no longer just an earthquake machine. It seems that Dark is just going to blow everything up and then soak in the life forces with the idol. That's kind of, kind of his plan here but again this was a great diggle story uh and that kind of gives it an 8.5 all by itself um the rest of it was really good not great but it the diggle stuff really made the up and i I was really pleased with it and i just want to jump straight into monument point that's season four episode 21 written by speedweed and jenny lynn and directed by kevin 
Tancheroan. Did I say that name right? I have no idea. Uh, and I really don't even have that much to say about this episode. It was very exciting. Um, but really kind of the way it ended with the impending showdown, that that seems a little weird to have this impending showdown with two episodes left. It's like it's like they're going to have to face him, lose a skirmish or whatever, and, and then retreat. And when they do that kind of stuff, I feel like it's just to fill in time because they have to do an extra episode, and, and I'm going to feel a little cheated. But if they do come out and do a full battle thing, um, then it seems like that can't really stretch out over two episodes. So that means there's going to have to be some kind of long Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Dame Newman at the end of the episode. So I'm really probably not going to be satisfied with the fact that this episode ended with two episodes left in the place that it did um, until I see how it resolves. But hopefully they'll do it uh, in a way one a different way than one of the two ways that I just predicted. But that was really my only concern in regards to how this sets up the next two episodes. Um, the episode itself was still pretty good. And everybody said that Calculator would be back, and here he is. Um, I did kind of like the, the daddy and reluctant daughter stuff. I thought that was good. I thought that the daddy-daughter stuff was, was a good theme uh, for the whole episode. And the hacking thing, that was a, the fun aspect to fighting a global catastrophe, right? But here we have Felicity getting fired from Palmer Tech. So how does that work out with the 2046 episode in Legends is my question, where her name is on the building. Um, is she going to buy Palmer Tech somehow? Is she going to be reinstated and then rename it somehow? Um, we're going to have to find all of that stuff out. Um, or is the 2046 thing in flux? Um, we have to find that out. I mean, now free will and destiny and all of that, uh, may have changed, uh, everything. If the Oculus has it, I, I don't know how one show affects the other in terms of stuff that we've already seen. Um, one thing that I did like about Felicity and her dad working so hard is that they didn't make it a complete clean win, you know, like television shows tend to do. They, they tend to go for the clean win without any real consequences. And, and here, you know, yes, she saved millions of people and, and kept dark from getting too strong or, or insurmountably strong. Although with tens of thousands of lives, um, I don't know that it really makes a difference at that point. Um, we'll have to see how um, the fact that she just killed a few thousand people as opposed to a couple of million people, um, how that affects Dark in the long run. But there was, it was still, there were a lot of casualties. Um, and I, I liked how that was reflected in Felicity, um, how bad she felt about it. But I hope that she realized that she was up against an impossible situation. The fact of the matter is, is since they got attacked um, by one of those henchmen, whose name I can't remember right now, um, the one that never talks. Anyway, I, the fact that they got shot is what kept them from being able to stop that last nuke in the first place or keep it from launching, and then it got launched, and we did have to see her. She still used her skills to, to save millions of lives, but um, it was good to see that it wasn't a clean win once again. And I, I'll go back to the whole Alex thing. I mean, they definitely established that he was just a victim, really, in the end. No sinister plot helper, at least not intentionally. And I guess he 
bought the farm thanks to Macon um, didn't seem to be alive. So um, they felt bad for Thea in that moment. You know, the the daughter dad, daddy dynamic was really kind of a theme in this episode, as I mentioned before. And I, I guess when you look at both Felicity and Thea trying to save innocent lives uh, and being coupled with their criminal fathers in the process of doing so, um, that was kind of interesting. But I really don't have that, you know, there was some good Thea badassery going on with some of the fight scenes with Mation. The Captain Lance and Mama Smoke stuff, I guess, was just to remind us that Laurel is, in fact, dead. That this whole affidavit thing was a way to, to have Mama Smoke in the episode and give her more to do than just to say, well, I know where your daddy might be to Felicity. That, that you know, that was the true purpose of her being in the episode. But at least they did give her some some fluff on the side here. Um, with Captain Lance and I I can see Lance really needing to be part of the police force again his whole life has been torn apart his daughter with Laurel dying and everything he needs order in his life remember he's a recovering alcoholic too so he needs order in his life to be able to just survive all of the trauma that's happened to him in the last few weeks so uh, I could see him being willing to lie just to get some of that order back. But I'm glad that he did the rewrite. Um, and that does really help honor Laurel's memory better. And, and that was a nice touch uh, for that story, even though it was just kind of a C storyline. And then you have the, the whole flashbacks uh, on the island, which finally gave us that yellow eye scene that Oliver had had a memory of in the previous episode. Uh, I was really worried that I had missed that scene um, in an earlier episode, uh, to be perfectly honest, because I paid so little attention to the island stuff because I've been so bored by it. But it just hadn't happened in island time yet. But of course, since we're way in the future, in the present day, he would, of course, remember it. But the big question that I have is, why did she get those forces? I mean, was Richter killing other people? Um, and that's why it took her over just because she was holding the idol. Um, because I thought there was some kind of ritual that had to be involved with it too. And she obviously had not said any words or anything. So that was a little confusing to me, but maybe as that plays out, we'll see why even Oliver's eyes turned the same color against dark in the previous episode as well. Um, is that just an indication of the magic? I, I, again, I'm, I'm a little confused why that would happen to her, except to create a little tension. It's like, is he going to have to shoot her? Is he going to have to kill her or whatever? Um, but I, I hope that there's a logical explanation for that as we go along. And really, you know, the rest of the episode was just a lot of badassery. The fight sequences are always great. I'm not a big fan of, of Brick or Lonnie Macon. Uh, in general, so I have no real comments on that. I don't even know how to say Lonnie's last name particularly well. Um, so, uh, and normally I'd have some more to say about Malcolm, but his role was just pretty minimal, and, and I, I've really been disappointed in what they've done with Malcolm Merlin this season. I was hoping for much more because Barrowman is so good. Um, it's tough to see him being minimal, minimalized like this. But all in all, uh, not a bad episode. We'll go 8.5 with this one as well. And that kind of covers everything. Just a little bit of news. It seems that um, Supergirl will be returning, but not on CBS. Uh, Instead, it looks like she's going to move to the CW. So you're going to have four superhero shows. And Donald and I were talking about this on Twitter. 
he was saying, you know, where are they going to put it? They've already renewed all of these uh, shows uh, from this season, the CW has. Where are they going to put it? And I keep thinking maybe they're going to half season um, Supergirl and half season Legends of Tomorrow. Um, maybe uh, uh, like, a, I don't know, 14 episodes each or something. That would be my idea of how they could fix it, you know, and they, they could have um, in the same time slot. But we'll just have to see what they do with it there. Um, another thing Donald brought up about the, the, the whole Supergirl moving to CW is you know, can they do more crossovers? But they had already kind of established um, this season in Supergirl that it's in a completely different universe. So um, they'll have to be more multiverse stuff if they're going to have any kind of crossover. They could have Supergirl manage to do that, I suppose, and, and show up uh, and have be in an Arrow episode or anything. But it doesn't seem very likely to me that Barry would jump back over to her universe or that Oliver, you know, those guys don't even exist in Supergirl's universe, uh, according to Barry, in the world's finest episode of Supergirl. So uh, I don't know that they really have much room for crossover stuff. Hopefully, um, they'll figure out some way to do it, because that would be fun. And uh, that's it for this podcast, folks. Again, if you have any thoughts about any of these episodes or a comment or a criticism of this podcast, feel free to reach out to me, save this city podcast at gmail.com or at save this city pod or three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero. I won't be back. I don't think my schedule will allow me to be back until after the season has concluded, but we will have Donald and Camille back to talk about all of the episodes and the season finales and, and the season as a whole. And we will also have, uh, I saw civil war. I loved it. That's about all I'm going to spoil about my review of it. Uh, but I will have Glenn Ewing back since we had that MCU talk before we'll be back to talk about civil war in a future episode as well. In the meantime, thanks for sticking with the podcast. Really appreciate it. Please stay subscribed. We will be back for at least two more episodes. Uh, before we take the summer hiatus. So thank you so much again for listening and take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314 669 1840 or send email to save this city podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at save this city pod please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use <laughs> <laughs>